Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, my, name is, my name is Jeremy, and I'm so excited to get to spend some time this morning in the Word with you. Um, man, looking forward to what God has to say to us today. This weekend, my wife Rachel and I got to be a part of a, there's a big Christian festival in town, and uh, we got to be part of the prayer ministry that was happening there, and it was so good to see people come from all over northern Arkansas and southern Missouri and come and receive healing. We baptized a couple dozen people. It was just so good to see what God is doing, and uh, just believing to continue for great things this morning as we get into the Word. So would you pray with me really quick, and then, then let's open up the Bible together. God... We are here this morning because, Lord, we need you. We're here this morning because each one of us has a story that has brought us into this place. There's a reason why we woke up this morning and got dressed and came here. And so, Lord, we're hungry for you and we're hungry for your word. And, God, we ask that today that you would speak to our hearts, God, and that you would change our lives, Lord. In Jesus' great name, amen. Amen. Any, any guesses what we might be talking about today? I just want to say, who, the, the person who made this did such a phenomenal job, and I'm so honored. I love it. I love the love sign. Um, so first verse I want to read for us this morning is found in the book of 1 John. And uh, this is, by the way, a really great verse to memorize. If you haven't memorized scripture in a long time, I, I would love to challenge you to take this verse and to put it to memory. We're going to read 1 John 4, 16. Really simply, this is what John has to say. He says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. John writes so poetically all throughout scripture about love. It is John who wrote that verse in John chapter 3 that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was John who wrote that we love because he first loved us. It was John who wrote that if you don't know love, you don't know God. Because God is love. God is the author and the source of the love that we experience in our families. God is the author and the source of brotherly love. God is the author and the source of erotic love that a husband and a wife experience with one another. But the scripture over and over again, as it talks about the love of God, it talks about this love that is almost indescribable. It's, it's almost impossible for us to completely understand. He talks about this love that is unidirectional, this love that is unconditional, that it flows and it never stops flowing. It is relentless. It doesn't need anything in return. It is love that is going out and nothing can stop it. And it, it needs no source. It needs no answer. It needs nothing in return. That is the love of God because God is love. His essence is love. His thoughts our love, his plans, our love, the actions of God 
are love. The atmosphere God breathes is love. His banner over his beloved is love. And so God has created a law of love. And the result of that law is love. It is everything. It is the essence and the breath and the atmosphere of God is love, is love, is love. I was talking with my two sons. I've got a daughter and two boys, and me and my two boys were talking the other day, and they were asking me about God, and they were asking that age-old question that all of us have wrestled with, with. At some point, if you've thought about God, they were like, Dad, what, before God made the world, what was he doing and who made him? I'm like, yes, I totally I don't know the answers to all of those questions, but I said, sons, there's a reason why God exists in a trinity, in Father and Son and Holy Spirit, because God is love. So what was God doing before he created us? Love. Because God is the essence of love. He is the essence of relationship. He has always existed in three persons. Why? Because he has always existed as love. Let me pause here for a minute and just say, as we continue to get into this, that God is love. Love is not God. But God is love. So we don't worship love. But we worship a God who, who is love. And we, as his children, have been created to live in that atmosphere. We've been created to breathe that air. And as humans, we exist in the realm. We exist under the law. We exist under the system that we submit ourselves to. So while God is love and his banner over us is love and his desire for us has always been love... We have a choice, and we always have. Even in the garden, where Adam and Eve, we can read about this in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, where, where Adam and Eve existed in this place that was full. It was the ultimate demonstration of love. They had a choice. God said, hey, you can choose to live under the law of love, and all of this is yours, and I am yours, and life is yours. And by the way, there's this other tree. In case that's not what you want, there is something else. And if you eat it, like, no one is going to stop you. But you are going to die. Because when you choose to step outside of the atmosphere and the law and the realm of love, you can do that. But there is death there. And even Moses, when he's, we can read about it in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is standing before all of the people of Israel, and he is saying the same thing that God said to Adam and Eve. He says, hey, God has love for you. You are invited to experience love with the Lord, your God, with all your heart and your soul and your mind, he says. But you have a choice. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm sorry, chapter 30, Moses says to the people, See, I have set before you today life and good and death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you. This is the consequence of love in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, okay, and you won't hear, and you're drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I, I declare to you today that you will surely perish. In the New Testament, Paul, in, in like the book of, of Romans, especially the first eight or nine chapters, Paul goes on and on talking about the law of love and the law of death. I, I encourage you to check it out. 
But the point today is God is love and you have been invited to live your life under this banner. But you don't have to. But you don't have to. You have a choice. So I'd like to invite you to think about it this way. When I was much younger, um, I just got my first job at a church. I was 19 years old, 20 years old, and uh, I was the children's pastor and like the outreach director for this church. And I, I got paid, I was thinking about this uh, when I was working on this message, I got paid, I think my starting pay was $145 a week. And so, which is awesome. And, uh, but to me, I didn't even think about it. I wasn't, I didn't feel ripped off or whatever. So, cause I got an apartment at the church too. They had this like way back in the back, there was a, a place that I could live. And it was just like across the hall from the youth room. It was so terrible. But anyways, I had this little apartment at the church. I was living life. And so then finally the time came, and I, I don't know, I graduated to like 200 bucks a week or something. And I got an apartment on my own. And so I, I go to the apartment place. I got my roommate who was the youth pastor. His name was Barrett. And Barrett and I signed a contract. And after we signed the contract, we got the keys to the apartment. And we moved in. And I promptly found out that Barrett was a terrible roommate. He was the messiest man on the face of the planet. But I think that's just the experience of dudes living together. It gets messy. But I signed the contract and I got the keys. And then um, a couple years later, fell in love with my wife and realized I had no money for an engagement ring. And so there were some, this is down in South Texas, there were some snowbirds who lived in an RV. This was like a 1980s fifth wheel. And, and they were going to be gone for the summer in South Texas. Just, I just want you to imagine this. And so they said, Jeremy, for the low, low price of $85 a month, you can live in this RV and save all this money. And I was like, okay, I signed the contract and I got the keys to the fifth wheel. And I regretted it every day, but I saved money so that I could, uh, so that I could buy the ring. So this is, this is how I'd like to invite you to imagine this. When I buy a house, when I uh, rent an apartment, I sign a contract, I make an agreement, I get the keys and I get to move in. I want you to think about this in the reverse with me. When I come into the world, I hold the keys to my own heart. God does not force me to do anything. That wouldn't be love, would it? And so as I choose which law, which system, which atmosphere I want to live in, I take the keys to my own life and I make an agreement and I hand them over. And the consequences then have permission to move into my life. Because there's an agreement there. There's a contract that I make. That's why the scripture says, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You've given the Holy Spirit the keys. You've made an agreement, a contract with love, and the consequences of love get to move in. And this happens to us every single day. We make choices all day, every day, thinking about what, how we're going to live our lives, the way that we think about things, 
the way that we live our lives. We make choices all day. Am I going to live according to love? Am I going to live according to death? Am I going to believe according to love? Am I going to believe according to death? And, and I want to walk you through this process because I, today this is so important. There are some of us in this room today who are locked in patterns of death. And you are locked under an agreement with death. And you are suffering the consequences of addiction and sin and loss and anxiety and depression. And so I just want to invite you to walk into this with me today. I feel like this is such an important word from the Lord for us. You see, as we live our lives, the way that this whole thing plays out begins with this first word, which is observation. Just living my life. And I notice an ache for something because I'm human. Maybe someone hurt me. Maybe I'm bored. Maybe I'm alone. Maybe I'm wounded. Going through a hard time. Maybe I've been abused. Maybe I've been abandoned. I need care. Or I just want to experience the delight of another person. Literally, this could be like you wake up and you're hungry. It could be something as simple as that. Or it could be something as you've been betrayed by your best friend. And in a split second, I make a decision based on what I'm going to choose to believe in that moment. I make a decision based on what I'm going to choose to believe in that moment. This, by the way, is the definition, or it's a definition I'd like to propose of sin. Will I make a decision of how I'm going to live my life based on the law and the atmosphere and the truth of love, or will I make a decision and live my life based on the absence of love, based on something else? So there's this observation, and then we we. We, we address that observation based on a belief. So what does it mean to believe in love? First off, it means that I am worthy of love because I'm chosen. And there is enough love in God's heart for me. Can we put that up on the screen? I think you've got those words. I am worthy of love because I'm chosen. And there is enough love in God's heart for me. Second is love is always available for me. I can always count on it. So I am worthy of love because I'm chosen. There's enough love in God's heart for me. And it's accessible to me right now. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to wait for it. I don't have to think that maybe God's going to abandon me. I'm worthy of it. So this is, what, this is what love, a belief in love sounds like. This is one of the first uh, chapters of the Bible that I ever memorized. I was a little kid growing up in church. I was in a program in my church called Royal Rangers. Any Royal, former Royal Rangers in the house? Come on, somebody. Every church needs a good paramilitary group. So we had Royal Rangers, and uh, it was awesome, actually. And so one of the things I had to do for one of my little badges was to memorize Psalm 23. How many of you, how many of you have this 23rd Psalm memorized? Anybody? Okay. Now, I don't care if we tear this up. Let's just test my knowledge from when I was a little kid. Let's see if we can say this together. This is, this is the definition of what it means to believe in love. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have everything I need, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yo, my Royal Ranger guy would be so proud of me right now. That was good, you guys. But that is the law of love. That's what it means to live in love. I wake up and I'm feeling something and I'm hurt or I've been betrayed or I've been abused. And I say, you know what? I am going to believe that the Lord is my shepherd and I have everything that I need. And I am going to believe that there is enough love for me so I don't have to do that thing. I don't have to eat that thing. I don't have to go to that place because, because I'm going to believe that he's all that I need. And he's a faithful shepherd and he's there for me. That is what it means to live under the law of love. So what does it look like to live under the law of death? To believe that means to believe that I'm not worthy of love. I'm not chosen. I can't count on God or anyone else to give me the love or the care that I need. Maybe that would sound something like this. The Lord is a shepherd, but he's usually busy helping someone else. I have to figure out where to get my own food and water, for I will starve if I don't. There is no rest for me. I obey him, hoping to earn his affection. And Every time I walk through the valley of difficult times, I pray about it, but I also tremble with anxiety and am paralyzed by depression for he abandons me. He might be strong, but I can't count on him to use his strength for me. In spite of my striving, I'm usually left starving while my enemies are feasting. Surely difficulty and abandonment will follow me all the days of my life, but at least, at least I can come to church on Sundays. Some of us, not some of us, all of us, evil has been working and has been training us to believe this our entire life. Evil has been giving you examples over and over again and trying to make sure that you see with your eyes that God has not chosen you. Maybe someone else, but not you. God loves people, but eh, there's something wrong with you. That he is a shepherd, but maybe he's not your shepherd. And evil has been working so hard to get you to have this belief and to make this agreement and to make an agreement with the fact that maybe God isn't there for you. So we have an observation. Maybe it's I'm struggling financially. Maybe it's whatever. And then we have a belief. Is there love or is there not? And then that leads us to action. This is when we finally do something, when we turn toward love or turn away from love. And we say, you know what, like, I, I might be struggling financially, but I'm a son of God, and I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to believe, 
I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep believing. And, and just like Dana said, I'm going to partner with love. I'm not going to stop with generosity. I'm not going to stop pouring things out because I'm going to believe that there's love. I'm going to believe that God's got me, and I'm not going to stop believing that. Okay, the bills are due, and I don't have anything to pay with, but I'm going to believe in love. I'm going to keep pressing on because I refuse to believe anything other than God's actually got me the way that he says he does. Or I don't believe that I'm worthy. So I make an agreement and I sign the contract. And then I pick up the bottle. Or I go to porn or I go to the mistress or depression moves in. Because they take the keys and move into my life. And I just want to say this is, by the way, a really effective cycle. Because I believe that I'm not loved. So I do things that prove that I'm unlovable because shame moves in. I believe that I'm not loved, so I go to that website. And after that's all done, I feel like trash, which proves that I'm not lovable. So I go back and back and back and back and back. Pastor Josh, a couple of weeks ago, took us into this uh, scene from Matthew chapter 4. When, this, when Satan is tempting Jesus. And I want to take us back there again. If we could read Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him. So, by the way, he was hungry, right? Observation, he felt something. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus, he feels hungry, and he's alone. He's been alone for a long time. He's been out there for 40 days. Satan comes to him and says, hey, you're hungry? Why don't you come over here? Like, obviously no one's going to give you food because you've been alone. So if you're alone, why don't you make your own bread? What is Satan trying to get Jesus to believe? Something other than love. Why? Because he wants the keys. Do you get that? He wants the keys. What's he going to do if he gets the keys from Jesus? Well, I love what Jesus did. He's like, no, 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 no. I, I don't just live by bread alone. I've got this. I've got the words of my father. Get out of here, bro. I don't, it's not going to work. And so... This action, what Jesus ended up doing was he didn't eat, and he told the devil to get lost. So Galatians tells us what happens when we make an agreement or a contract or give the keys to death. This is who moves into the house. I read from Galatians chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So naturally, when we turn away from love and when we sin, we experience all of the fruits of death. That big long list that we just got from Paul. And there are some of you, though, who are stuck in that list and, and you have confessed your sin, 
and you have repented and you have asked God for freedom, but some of you are, are stuck there and you just can't stop. You're stuck in these cycles of sin of going to those things, the, going to those things that I just read, the sexual immorality and impurity and idolatry and strife and jealousy, anger and ascension and anxiety and depression. And you're just stuck there and you can't seem to get out. You confessed your sin. I met somebody recently, a new friend that I met over the last couple of days, and he came up to me and he said, Jeremy, is it possible for a Christian to be demon-possessed? And I was like, why do you ask? Isn't that the great question? Because, like, I, I mean, well, I'm not going to get into that. But so, like, let's, let, me, let me be like Jesus. Why do you ask? <laughs> can a Christian be demon-possessed? And he said, well, here's the thing. I have been struggling with pornography and with sexual sin my whole life. And I have prayed, I've wept at the altar, I have confessed my sin, I've like done all of these things, I've confessed and confessed, and, and his words were, I, there's just something wrong with me. I can't stop. And I'm listening to him and I'm thinking, huh. Sounds like there's an agreement somewhere. Sounds like you signed a contract. Sometimes, sometimes this contract, this agreement that we make gives the enemy permission to move in and set up residence. Sometimes we need to do more than just confess the sin. Freedom comes from breaking the contract. Sometimes we have to realize that we have made a contract. The guy didn't have a contract with pornography. The guy had a contract with the belief that there was something wrong with him, that he was, that he was uh, damaged goods, that he was evil and perverted. That's what he had a contract with. So I started to ask him questions like, when did this start? When did you start to believe that there's something wrong with you? And he said, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess since I was 12. But what happened when you were 12? And then he went on to tell me a story of horrific sexual abuse. I hate the devil. So this 12-year-old boy is abused. And as a result, believes he makes a contract and everyone in his family makes a contract with the belief that there's something wrong with him. That he is deviant, that he's wrong, that he's dirty. So what do you think his life is going to become? Of course the fruit of that contract is going to be seen in your life. We're not talking about you needing to confess more sin. We're talking about you needing to find love, brother. We're talking about you needing to understand that you are a beloved son of God. There was never a moment in your life when you were deviant or messed up or broken. No, you are a child of God. Thank you for repenting your sin, you need of your sin. You needed to do that, but now you need to tear up a contract you've got with this idea that there's some, that you're messed up because you're not. It is not what Jesus says about you. And so I want to say to you, those of you who are struggling and you're stuck in these cycles of sin, I wonder where the contract was made. I wonder when the contract was made. Because yes, as believers, we can be oppressed 
and we can be influenced by evil when there are places in our lives where we haven't given the keys to God through love, but we've given the keys to evil. Back when I was on staff at that church, we used to do a lot in Mexico, and uh, it was part of my job. And this one afternoon, I was, we were getting ready for church service in this tiny little village called Los Angeles in uh, northern Mexico. And uh, we're there at this church, and the pastor and this other man came up to me, and they're like, hey, Jeremy, ¿quieres ver el demoniado? Which means, hey, do you want to go see the, the demon-possessed man? And I was like, that's the weirdest question I've ever been asked, I think. Um, sure. I mean, but my heart is beating a little bit. I'm like in my early 20s, and so we start walking, and... Um, they say, no, no girls are allowed to come. So we're just going to go with some men. And they start, as we're walking, they start telling me the story about this wild man who lives in this uh, shack who's locked in there, like in prison. And, uh, and they're telling me this legend about how he ended up there. And uh, everybody just call him, like, the demonized, el demoniado. That's what they call him. And um, the little kids will come and taunt him, and everybody's afraid of him. Sometimes the preachers will go and try to cast the demons out of him. And so I'm young and dumb, and I walk up there with them. Um, and we walk up, this is this little shack made of like some wood, some metal, some sheeting, and, and look through the window, and here's this man with dreadlocks down past his waist, completely naked, filthy, his fingernails are just super long and long beard, just totally disheveled. And I stopped. And I asked, and I'm so ashamed it took me so long to ask this, what's his name? Oh, yeah. ¿Cómo se llama? Uh, Oscar. Yo creo que se llama Oscar. I think his name is Oscar. I don't know. We just called him the demonized guy. turns out that Oscar was a little boy who turned into a teenager who had issues with anger. And his parents locked him up rather than deal with his fits of anger. And one afternoon of being locked up in that little shack turned into a day, turned into a week, turned into months. And now here is this 40-year-old plus man, disheveled and naked, completely filled with demons and out of his mind. And in that moment, like, I just sense the Holy Spirit lead me to Psalm 139. I say, hey, Oscar. I said his name, Oscarito, Oscar. And he turns and he looks. I said, Oscar, you know what, Oscar? You are loved. Did you know that nothing can separate you, Oscar, from the love of God? Did you know, Oscar, that you're not a monster? Did you know, Oscar, that God has known you since he knit you together in your mother's womb? Did you know, Oscar, that there's another way for you? There's a way of love. There's a way of freedom for you, Oscar. And I feel like this morning that there's some of you who need to hear this. There's another way. 
You see, when we give the keys of our lives to love, the Bible says it goes on in Galatians to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Oscar, all you need to do, my friend, what we need to do is to break some agreements in our life and say, you know what, I'm tired of living in death and in an addiction and in depression and in anxiety. I'm tired of believing that I'm worthless or broken or not enough or abandoned. I I am going to take a risk. I'm going to break those agreements and I'm going to make an agreement. Take a risk and believe that there is love for me. You see, the opposite of sin is not holiness. The opposite of sin is love. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is love. The opposite of porn is not covenant eyes on your computer. The opposite of porn is love. The opposite of depression is not happiness, it's love. Anxiety is not calm, it's love. So I want to give you hope today that these agreements, these things can be broken. So I want to invite you to ask yourself, where am I experiencing the fruit of death? And I can't get free of it. And then how am I partnering with an idea that is based on something other than love? When I think about that, what do I think about myself? Here's something I want you to get. And we're, we're, we're headed toward a close here. The way that you feel about yourself here, when you do the sin, when you feel the thing, you felt that about yourself before you ever did the sin. So if you feel that you're worthless, you're going to do things that make you, that reinforce the sense that you're worthless. You're going to see things and experience things that reinforce the sense that you're worthless. I would like to ask, who told you that you're worthless? When did you make an agreement with that belief? When did you decide that that's how you were going to live? My third question for you is, what if you break the contract, take the keys back, and move toward love? So here's how I'd like to close. For many of us, when we talk about contracts and keys... For some of us, we're talking about sin, but for others, there's another person who's also a part of this contract. So I want to close by this. I want to, I want to just chat a bit about forgiveness. See, unforgiveness is, is super powerful and it's super toxic. If you're living in that realm of unforgiveness, it means that you're living under the law of death. And this is how this generally works is we make this observation. Remember, it all starts with an observation. You hurt me. You sinned against me. So now you owe me something. I deserve justice, and I deserve to get back the thing that you stole from me. And this is why talking about forgiveness is so hard. Because if we, we think, like, if I'm going to forgive this person who hurt me, that, like, they get off the hook, and I just got to continue to suffer... That doesn't feel right. So what do we do? We make a contract. And not only is it a contract with death, but we pull in another person too. We give them a key. 
So now not only does death have a key to our souls, but this other person who offended us is living in there too. We can't get rid of them. So we've got this contract saying, no, I am, I am, I'm alone and I'm abandoned and no one is going to help me. So I'm going to hold on to you and I'm going to have a contract with you because you, you owe me something. And I wonder what it would mean in a sense like that, to break that contract and to move toward love. I want to give you like some quick steps for those of you who feel uh, like, oh man, that's me. First off, who hurt you and what do they owe you? Like make a list, take out a piece of paper, write along the top, my hit list. No, just kidding, don't do that. But like, <laughs> this is it. This is who it was. This is what they did. This is how they sinned against me. This is their name. You're not going to share this with anybody, but literally write it down. This is who it was and what they did. And then I want to invite you to ask yourself, what would it mean then to turn toward love? Because this is what it looks like. Hey, in my life, it's somebody named Keith that I wanted to spend a lot of, a lot of my life, I wanted to destroy Keith. He destroyed a big part of my family. And I took the keys away from Keith. Keith. He's not even alive anymore. He's dead. I took the keys away from him. And I said, Jesus, I'm going to believe that there's love for me. And so what Keith stole, Jesus, I'm going to trust that you can, you can repay me. I'm going to put you in charge of the thing that he owes me. He can't heal me, but you can, Jesus. And Jesus, I am also going to put you in charge of his punishment. Like, I've got some ideas in case you need some help, <laughs> but Jesus, I'm gonna put you in charge of his punishment and I'm gonna make a contract with you. So Keith moves out of my life. I don't want him there anymore. And Jesus, I'm gonna trust you to heal me I'm going to trust you to deal with him however you want to deal with him. It's probably going to be grace. But that's up to you. That's not my problem. Jesus, you deal. Because, Jesus, I'm going to choose to believe that there's love. I'm going to choose to believe that there's enough for me. Would you stand with me? This morning, some of us are in this room and just immediately are thinking about our sin and the ways that we have turned away from love, turned away from God being enough for us. And this, this is just a good moment for us to just repent. So Jesus, I confess, I've let my anger go after justice instead of letting you fight for justice for me. I've let like anxiety like be my uh, food when I should trust you. Just forgive me for my sin. Some of us need to confess that. There are others of you though, who like this friend that I met, are living in these cycles of bondage. You're like, I'm a Christian, how can I be in bondage? Listen, we are living in cycles of bondage because you have made an agreement with something other than love. 
because you believe that you will always be abandoned. You believe that there is never going to be enough love for you. You believe that there's something wrong with you, that you're dirty, that you're broken, that you're something other than a beloved child of God. And you may not see clearly, it could take a lot of work to understand how it all connects. But if you're dealing with a cycle of sin or of death or of destruction or of bad habits or depression, if you're living in a cycle, I want to say, I wonder where the contract is and when you signed it. And I wonder what it would be like to break it. Because of Jesus, you can. Thankfully, we get to tear that up. And if the devil wants to take us to court, that's fine. God's the judge. It'll work out well for us. We've signed a contract with sin, with lies. What if some of you today need to tear it up and take a risk and believe that God would never agree that that's who you are? There are others of you this morning that that last example I gave of unforgiveness you are experiencing rot in your bones, the rot of bitterness, because you've allowed that to live and to take residence inside of you. That person is living in you because you gave him a key. You need to let Jesus take care of you. So what I'd like to do this morning is just invite the ministry team to come. Would you guys come down and we wanna pray for you. If you need to confess sin this morning and and just be like, oh man, I, I should have leaned into love. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can come and do that this morning. There are others of you who have been in bondage to a law other than the law of love. And this morning, this morning, we want to tear up some contracts with you. You may not even know what to say. You may just want to come down and be like, I can't get out of this sin or I can't get out of this cycle. I'm sure there is an agreement there. And whatever it is, I want to break the agreement in Jesus' name that evil has to move out. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite love to move in. Some of you need to come down and receive prayer for that this morning. And others of you need to deal with unforgiveness. It's in your heart. Break that contract. So in just a moment, I'll invite you to come. First, let me lead us all in prayer. Oh God, because we are Jesus' reward, because we are your prize, because we are your beloved sons and daughters, evil has been coming after us from before we were even born to try to distort this goodness, to try to pull us away from your love, to try to get us to sign legal contracts so that we would be separated from your love. But God, I declare today that nothing can separate us from your love, neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, principalities, nothing. God, sin can't separate us ultimately from your love because your love is relentless. Your love is after us. Your love rescues us. Your love calls us out of sin and death. And so God, today we say yes to your love. Lord, we rip up contracts with death and with evil and we say, God, every inch of our lives, every secret corner, every place that we thought you were ashamed of us, every place that we thought you had failed us, we open up those places to you, oh God, and we invite you and the law of love to come in and rule. And I pray that today that our lives would be marked with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, oh God. I pray that our lives would be marked by those things as we live in the atmosphere and breathe the air of love. In Jesus' great name, I pray. So if you need to come and pray, if you need freedom, 
If you need to confess, if you need to forgive, I wanna invite you to come, don't be shy. For those of you who need to go, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Um, so please feel free to come if you would like to pray. Otherwise, uh, this will be the closing of our service. You're dismissed if you need to go, but please come and pray if you'd like.